0: The biblical idea of our eyes, our focus, relates to what we're giving our attention, that which we are concentrating on. But the eyes are just a window. The eyes need a brain, right? Needs a a mind to be able to process what the eyes see, what the eyes focus on, and what an incredible machine the brain is. I don't know. Um, it seems like as I age a bit, uh, mind is slowing down a little bit. Anybody else have that? You, you notice that it's it, it's not functioning quite the way it once did. It's a little bit slower in its processes, but you still, you think about what an amazing um, thing God created when he had created our brain. When you put that thing in our head, I mean, our brains can process billions of bits of information in just a, a fraction of a second your mind is a precious gift from god Uh, you may have a high iq you may have just an average iq but but just the same your mind the brain is an incredible incredible thing and tonight as we wrap up our series here we focus fixing our eyes on jesus our text comes from the book of philippians chapter Last week we saw about how uh, we must guard our heart if we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. Tonight we are moving from the heart to our head. That is our thoughts. Psychologists say that each of us have about 10,000 thoughts per day. And while the the human thought process is still uh, mostly a mystery, To scientists and psychologists one thing remains sure and that is what we focus on what we give our attention to what we think about will affect the direction of our lives you think about something long enough often enough ultimately it becomes an obsession it becomes a passion and it becomes the action of our lives Our thoughts become our words, our words become actions, our actions become habits, our habits become character, and our character becomes destiny. And so how you think determines how you live. So if we're going to live for Jesus, we have to win the battle of the mind. How are we going to focus on Christ if our mind is gem Packed with all sorts of wrong thoughts. All the forces of evil are battling your mind all the time. You see, when you get your heart right with God, what you begin to see is this you begin to see that the battle for the heart takes place in the head. It takes place in our mind. It takes place in our thinking. And so each one of those 10,000 thoughts that you and I have each and every day, it represents a choice, 10,000 different choices that we have every single day. We make a decision what we are going to think about. Am I going to think about this or am I going to think about that? so it's crucial for each of us to bring our thought life into submission, As Paul writes, into captivity, the captivity of Jesus Christ. By learning to think biblically, by fixing our mental attention on what is right, by concentrating our thoughts on what pleases and honors the Lord. Church, that is a battle. Is that a battle? That's a battle. That's a battle for me. I'm sure that is a battle for every single one of you. In fact, every one of us. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself talks about the battle that he was facing in his own mind. He talks about this in Romans chapter 7. He writes to the Roman believers and he's talking about that inner battle fighting that inner battle that was going on at times he said man i know i know what i should do but i don't always do what i ought to do i fail at doing what i know i ought to do and he says i see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body we can identify with that We can identify, I can identify with that Paul wrote so much about the mind and about our thoughts. But tonight, we're going to focus on these two verses in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Let's read them. Follow along as I read them. Find thee, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. In verse 9, Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying this. He's saying that our mindset matters. Our mindset matters. Because what we concentrate our thoughts on determines to a large part the course of our life. Focus on evil. What's going to happen? What's going to be the course of your life, right? If you give your mind over to the darkness, the course of your life will follow suit. If you give your mind over, your thoughts over to what is good and godly, you give your thoughts over to what is right, the course of your life will follow suit. Last weekend, we looked at Solomon, David. Solomon recording his father, David's words to him. And, and uh, there's some words I want to, just uh, give you tonight. This was David to his son Solomon. This is before he passed. He says this. He says, son, determine in your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. This is First Chronicles 22. He says, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly and with a willing mind for the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. David understood the importance of our, the, our mindset. He understood that importance. He, he stresses to his son, hey, have a willing mind and a willing heart to serve the Lord. Why? Because God, he knows our heart and he knows our thoughts Uh, Proverbs 23, 19, listen, my son, be wise, keep your mind on the right course. Mindset matters. The big idea for the message is here on the screen, focus on and ponder what is good and honorable as you walk through life. That's pretty simple, a simple idea, a little more difficult to do than to say or to think about, but this is the big idea. We need to focus on what's right. We need to concentrate our mind, our thoughts, on what the scripture tells us we should focus our mind and our thoughts on. And Paul helps us with this. And what I see here is a threefold strategy for developing a biblical mindset. So I want to give that to you tonight. You want to develop a, a biblical, a godly, a wholesome, a healthy mindset? Well, I think Paul gives that to us here tonight. Here's the, the threefold strategy first of all, evaluate. Secondly, educate. And third, emulate. And we're going to see this here in these verses. The first one, number one, is evaluate. Evaluate. And the principle is here on the screen. Evaluate. Think about what you think about. We do a lot of thinking. 10,000 thoughts a day is a lot. I mean, that's 3.65 million thoughts thoughts that go through our mind between these two ears every single year. At this point of the day, you've probably already thought about 8,000 different thoughts. You probably have another maybe thousand, fifteen, two thousand 2,000 thoughts yet to go before you lay your head on the pillow. And then for some of us, we'll get up between ah, the hours of two and four, and we'll get a lot of thoughts in early in the day. Anybody... You do that too? Yeah, get a lot of thinking going in the middle of the night. Man, that is a lot of thinking. If we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, we're going to have to control those thoughts. Every one of those thro- thoughts. We're like air traffic controllers of our minds. You know what an air traffic controller does, right? It controls the, the, the traffic, the, the flight traffic, their altitude and uh, where they're going. Well, we need to decide what our, what's going to come into our minds? What thoughts we're going to allow to stay in our minds? What we're going to dwell on? The old adage says this, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair, right? In other words, we can't stop whatever random evil, strange thoughts come into our our mind, come knocking on the door of our imaginations, but we don't have to invite them in for lunch. We don't have to dwell on them. We don't have to concentrate on them. Who wins the battle of the mind is always determined by you. By you. No one can control your mind but you. In our text, Paul lists eight characteristics of the kind of thoughts that help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So think of this as a test. Remember, in one of our first uh, messages, we, we were using that illustration of an eye exam. Well, this is a test for our thoughts. Okay, This is a, a definitive examination that can help us evaluate the reflections, the imaginations, the, the concentrations of our minds. What we have here is a call to fix our minds upon the things of God. And so I'm going to give you eight questions that Paul gives us here, eight questions to ask about your thoughts. The first one, the first one is this. The first one is, is it true? Right? Do you see that there in verse 8? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Truth is the first test. The Hebrew word for true is related to the word amen, which means right or or sure. The Greek word for true relates to what is real, what is genuine, what is free from error. So we could put it this way. Thinking on whatever is true is, first of all, whatever is real as opposed to fake. Whatever is real as opposed to fake. Have you ever considered how many of our thoughts are fake thoughts? I don't mean that they're not really our thoughts. What I mean is they're fake thoughts. What I mean is is that we're thinking about things that aren't even real. Earlier in the passage, you just go up a couple verses uh, there in verse number six, and Paul says, don't worry about anything. Think about the things that you worry about. How, how much time, how many thoughts does worry occupy in our minds, in our thoughts, right? Sometimes it can, seems like it can occupy a lot of, of what we think about. But what do we think, what do we worry about? Usually we worry about things that have, haven't even happened. All right, it's, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens, right? What, what are those? Those are fake thoughts. It hasn't, nothing's happened yet. But we are, we're, we're wrapping our minds, we're thinking, we're dwelling on things that could possibly happen. Uh, one, one guy heard him say, he said, take, take what you're worrying about, write down on a piece of paper and put it in your pocket and just forget about it for a while and then take it out, you know, every so often if you really need to worry about it and just worry about it worry about it worry about it, and then put it back in your pocket and don't think another thing about it and then pull it back out and worry about it, worry about it, worry about it. He says, after a while what you're going to realize is, you're going to say, this is foolish. This is foolish, because most of these things I worry about never even happen. They're fake thoughts. What we need to dwell on, what Paul says here is, dwell on what is true. Another sort of, of fake thought would be uh, what we call fantasy, Right? How much of our thinking is consumed with oh if i had this or how wonderful it would be if i had that how happy i would be if this is the way my life was right now we can spend so much of our lives chasing after one fantasy after another it's all fake but how many of our our thoughts are consumed with fake thoughts so so what is true is whatever is real as opposed to fake also whatever is true, is whatever's true as opposed to false. And this just is obvious. Paul is warning us against dwelling on baseless claims and the lies that we tend to allow to linger in our minds. You know, ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been getting man to believe lies. So many different lies that That we as, even as believers, man, he he sells us lies and we can be so gullible to his lies at time. Listen, Satan wants to corrupt your mind and he's the father of lies. He uses deception, he uses lies to boggle your mind, to, to tie up your thoughts. If he gets you to believe what isn't true, he can paralyze your life. He can paralyze your testimony for Jesus Christ. What are some common lies that we allow to nest in our minds? I'll throw a couple at you. You could add to this list. There's so many other ones. Maybe you have one that comes to your own mind uh, as we give this. Uh, How about this one? I'm a failure of a Christian. I'm a failure. You know, as you look at the book of Philippians, Paul, you could just read just this one little letter and you would find verses that deal with lie, the, the different lies that we often believe. I mean, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul, Paul writes to them, hey, look, he who started a good work in you, he's going to carry it on to, the completion, on, on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's like, hey, God's doing a good work in you. He's going to keep that good work going but we but we believe the opposite at times we we just think about all of our failures and we think about our past and we think oh i'll never change listen god's doing a good work in you don't buy into the lie how about this one i can't be used of god well in verse number seven of chapter one paul says hey man you guys have been partners with me in the gospel They were being used of God. Maybe they didn't even realize it. They were uh, participating in Paul's ministry as he was out there preaching the gospel. They were being used by God, and yet oftentimes, man, we get into this frame, oh, God can't use me. Uh, I'm defined by my past is another one. Paul says, hey, man, forget the past. Look forward to what is ahead, Uh, another lie. I can't do it. In, In chapter four and verse 13, he says, I am able to do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? How about this one? I won't have enough. How many of our thoughts are consumed with, oh, I won't have enough. I won't have enough at the end of the month. I won't have the enough at the end of the year. I won't have enough when it's time to retire. I won't have enough five years from now in retirement. Right? We, we, we think that way. That can consume a lot of our thoughts. And what does Paul say? He says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. But how much of our thinking is tied up in lies? in believing the lies, in cultivating the lies in our head. All, we believe all sorts of lies about ourselves, about God, about sin, about our priorities, about what success is. We believe lies about sexuality, about our circumstances, about relationships, and on and on and on and on. Thinking about lies will only upset you, worry you, uh, make you angry, Make you ineffective for Jesus Christ. Keep the untruths out of your head. Learn to filter them out. Now, does that mean we're to isolate ourselves and never think about anything that's not true? For example, should we not ever consider the lies of the world? Should we not understand the lies of perhaps a false religion? Would it be wrong to, to study that and to, and to recognize the, law, the, the false claims of a false religion? I don't, I don't think that's what he's getting at here. It's not that we have to somehow isolate ourselves. It simply means that we are to focus on what is true, what is right as opposed to fake. Truth will set you free. Peter said this, Be sober-minded, be alert, because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Right? Sober-minded. So is it true? The second question on the test is, Is it honorable? Is it honorable? Uh, This refers to thoughts that are lofty, majestic, respectable, uh, and dignified uh, as opposed to thoughts that are simplistic unimportant or frivolous so much of what can occupy our thinking is useless and futile it's unproductive unproductive and, and unnecessary but thinking on an honorable plane takes the higher plane it takes us to a higher plane As followers of Jesus, our thinking shouldn't mirror the vain, empty thinking of those who don't know God. Remember, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Their minds are alienated from the ways of God and hostile to God's ways. And what Paul is calling us to do is to lift our minds above the frivolous, unimportant things of this world that can consume so much of our mental energy. He wrote to the Corinthian church, brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be uh, infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking, right? Be innocent when it comes to evil, but be mature and adult. Lift your thinking above the frivolous things of this world. Listen, do you ponder things that are noble and of serious purpose, or do you dwell on the frivolous and the trivial? The second, so the second test is, is it honorable? The third test, as we continue to work through verse number eight, is, is it right? The word there in verse number eight in my translation is the word just. And it just means whatever is right. That which is in conformity to God's will. That which measures up to God's standard. Remember back in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, it says that every man did that which was right in his own, in his own eyes, right? They just kind of, they were their own truth measurement. You know? They were their own benchmark of what was right and what was wrong. They set the benchmark themselves. What a mess of a culture that was. In fact, if you go back a little further in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 6, it says that when the Lord saw the human wickedness that was widespread on the earth, He says that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. And so it says that the Lord regretted that he even made man, that He was deeply grieved, and He said, "I'm going to wipe mankind out, whom I have created, off the face of the earth." But there was one man who found favor with the Lord, and that was Noah. He was a righteous man. He was blameless among his contemporaries what does that mean it means that he lived according to a higher standard he did what was right he had right thinking as opposed to all the evil inclinations of the people around him the entire culture around him listen it's not hard for me to view my own thoughts as right according to my own standards it's not hard for us as human beings we can easily justify our own thoughts, but to have my thoughts conformable to God's standards is something else. God's truth is the standard. What's right in God's mind and God's will, that is the standard of what is right. Not right in my eyes, but right in God's eyes. Imagine if our thoughts were broadcast for the world to hear. Would we be ashamed? <laughs> we just want to hang our our head low in embarrassment. What if other people knew what you were thinking? What would they think of you? You know, the truth is it doesn't really matter what others think and aren't you glad not everybody can see our thoughts? But God does see our thoughts. God does know what our thoughts are and his righteousness is the standard by which our thinking should be measured. So as you filter your thoughts, as you think about what you're thinking about, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Fourth, he says, is it pure? That's just uncontaminated. That which is holy. That which is undefiled and clean and free from any blemish or cor- corruption. It's, it's, it's taking, it's, it's adding to the right the righteousness of God. And it's, it's, give, it's painting this picture that our thoughts should be completely uncontaminated. Our thoughts are to be pure before God. I'm not to be thinking about things that would displease God. Look, impurity permeates our culture, but it doesn't have to permeate our thoughts, church. Paul wrote to the Romans, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. So I'm not to be dwelling on the filth of this world, I'm to keep the trash out of my mind. And that means that we have to Be careful what we see, what we we allow through our eye gate, what we allow through our ear gate. Am I allowing trash into my mind? We used to say, get your mind out of the gutter. Did your your mom ever tell you that? Get your mind out of the gutter. Well, I'm to be dwelling on that which pleases God. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it Pure Number five here, as we keep going through verse eight, he he says, whatsoever is lovely. Whatsoever is lovely. Now, the word lovely here, this is the only place in the New Testament where this word is, is used. And it refers to planning or concentration which will bring about a loving act. It's a call to think about those things that reach down within our hearts and cause us to respond in love, to do a loving deed. And so when we think about, when we think lovely thoughts, they're agreeable thoughts. They're agreeable. Uh, There were some folks in this church that were not agreeing. If you go back to chapter 4, same chapter, verse number 2, Paul's urging two folks in the church to agree. There was some disagreement that they had in the church. Well, when we think thoughts that are lovely, we're agreeable. You see, sometimes our thoughts may be true. They might be right and pure, but they aren't very lovely. <laughs> you know, we, we, know we, we know what's right, but the way that we go about it isn't right. You know what I mean? The way that we think about it, the way that we think about the other person, they're not thoughts that lend toward loving and acting in a loving way toward that person. It's true, preacher, it's right, and, you know, all these things. But it also needs to be lovely. It also needs to encourage loving one another, getting along with one another. Paul writes this in verse number uh, five, he says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Your graciousness. Those are the kind of thoughts that are lovely thoughts, thoughts of being gracious, even though we may think that we're right and they are wrong. In chapter two in verses two and three, he says, uh, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, be in agreement, having the same love, united in spirit intent on one purpose do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but in humility consider others as more important than yourself those are lovely thoughts when we consider others as better than ourselves when we put others ahead of ourselves those are thoughts that are lovely thoughts they put god first and they put others first And so when you find yourself and your thoughts being self-centered, when you find your thoughts being focused on getting your own way, you know, trying to figure out how you're going to get your own way, when you find yourself concentrating on what you want, what you deserve, what you demand, filter those thoughts out. Filter them out. Bring those thoughts into captivity. Replace those thoughts with Lovely thoughts. Think about those things that reach down in your heart and cause you to respond in love. When you've done something kind, when you've done something loving, it's because it began with a lovely thought. Here's a simple rule. If it's not lovely, if it doesn't make you lovely, don't say it, don't think it, don't do it, don't dwell on it don't repeat it lovely thoughts so is it true is it honorable is it right is it pure is it lovely sixth continuing on there he says whatsoever is commendable that is is it admirable these are thoughts that refer to thoughts that search for the good rather than the bad thanks john you can close that door Thank you. <clears throat> Searches for the good rather than the bad. It's also translated good report. It's the opposite of thinking about bad news, thinking about the dreadful, thinking about the deplorable, even thinking about the detestable. In, in classic Greek, it means a good omen or a good report. It refers to that which is worth talking about. It's good things, Okay. Um, the word seems to go back to this pagan practice where they would bring a sacrifice to to their pagan god. And the point that the sacrifice, at the very point when the sacrifice was being offered, in the Greek world, there was a moment of silence. They didn't say anything. And it was as though the only thing to be heard was that which was worthy of the gods who were to be appeased. They said nothing. The word can be translated, think on those things that are only fit for the God's ears. If it's worth talking to God about, it's commendable. It's worth thinking about. If it's not worth talking to God about, then it's not worth thinking about either. Some things may be true, but that doesn't mean we need to dwell on them. So we have to filter it through all of these. Is it commendable? Do you tend to dwell on bad news? What happens when you dwell on bad news? What happens, right? Man, how that just brings us down. It pulls our eyes off of Jesus, right? We can get so down, so depressed, so discouraged. Instead of dwelling on bad news, dwell on good news. Instead of focusing on what's dreadful, think on what's commendable. Instead of thinking about what's depressing and discouraging, fill your mind with the good news of the gospel. Paul says in Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things above. Not earthly things, but how much of our thinking is consumed with the earthly. The bad news that that continually bombards us, the things of this world. Instead of thinking, grumbling, complaining thoughts that focus only on what's bad in your life in the moment, focus on the good in your circumstances. Think on the goodness of God. Lift your thoughts to a higher realm. Remember, as Paul writes this very letter, church, where is he? He's in prison. Yeah, he's in prison. You know, rather than complaining about his circumstances, rather than grumbling, Paul begins his letter. If you look back to the first couple verses of Philippians, he begins his letter this way. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. He's not thinking about how awful life is at that moment. You know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about how good God is and how He's been working in their he's not, "Oh me!" He's like, "Lord, what you have done in the Philippians' lives, what a wonderful thing that is. The work you've, you're, you've started, how you're going to continue that work, that's what he's thinking about. He's thinking about how the gospel had transformed them. He's thinking about the good work that Jesus was doing in their lives. He's also thinking about how God was using the very things that happened to him. If you look at chapter uh, 1 and verse 12, he says, I want you to know this, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, I'm sitting in jail, what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. You see what he's doing here? You see where his mind is? He's thinking on that which is commendable, that which is admirable. He's seeing the good in the midst of his bad circumstances. When you're thinking commendable thoughts, your circumstances may be awful, but you're focused on the reality that God is still good and he's using it for good. You're looking for his goodness in the moment. You're focusing on the reality that even in the bad, God is using it for good. You read this little letter, four little chapters, and you know what you find over and over and over again Paul talks about? Joy and rejoicing. He says in chapter 2 and verse 17, even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, he's saying, even if I'm put on the altar, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Where's that taking place? It's his thoughts. He's joyful. It's his heart. It's his thoughts. He's thinking on what, how God is using him, even if it's in a very terrible way that he's facing the circumstances that he's under. In chapter four, in verse four, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Admirable. Number seven. He says there in verse 8, is it virtuous? He says, if there is any moral excellence. And that's what this refers to. That which is upright, that which is upstanding, irreproachable, virtuous. Virtuous things can enhance our relationship with God. They can lift us to the holy of holies. It can improve and mature our fellowship with God. We're to think on such things. Uh, Think of your mind as a garden. If you allow evil thoughts to grow unchecked, think of it as weeds that you just allow to grow in your garden. What happens over time? It just chokes out everything that is good. And what Paul wrote to the Romans, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. See? When we think virtuous thoughts we're thinking on those things that are good and holy and right it all it just adds to the mix of what paul is stressing here and and where our thoughts need to be he says finally number eight on our test is is it praiseworthy he says if there if there is any moral excellence if there is anything praiseworthy dwell on these things In other words, is it a thought that God would approve of and that would bring glory to Him? That particular thought, does it bring praise to God? Does it bring glory to God or not? Taken together, these eight questions point the way toward godly, healthy, wholesome thinking. Paul says, dwell on these things. Church, it's a command. It's in the present tense, which means keep on focusing your thoughts. Keep on thinking about these things. So evaluate your thoughts and filter out the thoughts that don't pass the test. Paul says to the Corinthians, take every thought captive to Christ. So we evaluate our thoughts, we think about what we're thinking about, we filter out any thoughts that don't pass the test, and then we concentrate our thoughts on those things that do pass the test, those things that are true. Find what is honorable and think about that. Find what is right and pure, think about that. Find the lovely and the admirable, think about that. Find the moral and the praiseworthy and think about that. Say, look, this is not from God, This is untrue. This isn't helpful. I reject this thought and I reject that wrong thought and I'm replacing it with a right thought. That's how you win the battle of the mind. And God requires your participation in mind. He's not going to control our minds. He's not going to make us think all the right thoughts. He calls us to fix our minds, to dwell on these things things. You know we're wired to be able to only think consciously about one thing at a time. You notice that? You can only think about one thing consciously at a time. If we're thinking of something good, we can't be thinking of something bad at the same time. So we can avoid unprofitable thoughts by simply choosing to think of their alternatives. So, number one, evaluate. That's the the first Part of the strategy of developing a biblical mindset, the next two are are quick. Number two, in verse number nine, he says that we should educate our mind. Here's the truth. Nurture sound thinking through systematic learning. Nurture sound thinking through systematic learning. Verses eight and nine, they go together. They're associated because uh, in the literal translation, verse number eight ends with, These things, in fact, the NASB, if you have one of those uh, translations with you, verse number eight ends with these things and verse number nine begins with the things. They're linked. These two verses are linked, right? So dwell on these things, the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen. So in other words, Paul's not telling them simply to evaluate their thinking. He also educated their thinking. He taught them. He preached He gave them sound doctrine. He wrote this letter that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He he sent this letter to them to educate their thinking. He poured into their minds, into their thoughts, the truth of God. And this is what Paul says in verse nine. What you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. What, What did they do? They learned what he taught. They received the truths that he delivered to them. They heard his words, they heard his messages, they heard his doctrine, they saw his life, they saw his ministry, they saw his example, they saw Christ living in him, and all of that had a profound impact on their lives. Our thoughts, our thinking is not sufficient on its own when it comes to following Jesus. It's not gonna get the job done. We too must learn and receive and hear and see. We must feed on God's truth. We must allow the Holy Spirit of God to renew our minds. We must be diligent students of the word, educating our minds and our hearts with the truth. Are you following me? Okay, so so how then do we educate ourselves? Well, God's given us four things. Number one, be taught by the scripture. By the scripture. Paul says to Timothy, you know that from infancy you've known the sacred scriptures which are able to make you wise. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. The Bible tells you what's right. For rebuking, the Bible tells you what's not right. For correcting, the Bible tells you uh, how to get right. And for training in righteousness, the Bible tells you how to stay right. So listen, listen we're going to have the right kind of thinking we have to educate our minds with the word of god receive the scriptures accept them believe them adopt them into your life memorize the word of god psalm says i've treasured your word in my heart so that i might not sin against you if satan's primary weapon is lies, then our greatest counter-weapon is the truth of God's Word. We must fill our minds with the Word of God. Do you want a stable, fixed mind? Do you want to have wholesome thoughts? Do you want to overcome thoughts of depression and, and worry and anxiety and all of that? Start right here. Fill your mind with the word of God. When we gather together and the word is preached, hear it, receive it, act on it. God's word will help your thinking. It will educate your thinking because oftentimes our thoughts, we believe the lies and we, believe, we have all these erroneous thoughts. It's God's word that straightens all that out. Not only should we be taught by the Scriptures, but we are taught by the Savior. And Paul talks about that. If you go to chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, adopt the same mind, the mind of Christ Jesus. He goes on and he, he gives the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. Fixing our eyes on Jesus involves learning his words. Seeing his example, learning his ways, receiving his commands, his teaching, right? We don't fix our eyes on him as one would look at someone they despised or envied or wanted to destroy. We fix our eyes on him to know him and to love him and to follow him. You look into the word and Jesus, his example and his his words will teach you. It will help your thinking. Also not only has God given us his scriptures and his son the savior but he's also were to be taught as they were taught by the spirit the greatest bible teacher of all time if you're a believer he lives inside of you the holy spirit of god was given to guide us into the truth to illuminate our minds, to to show us what is right, to to take the sword of the Spirit and and to use it in our life, to, to, to point out what's wrong in our life, what's wrong in our thinking, and to help straighten it out so that we walk in the truth. The Spirit of God who dwells within you will educate your thoughts when you get into the Word of God, if you listen for Him, if you look into the Word, the Holy Spirit of God will start educating your thoughts and your thinking. And then, also, we're taught by the saints. Well, in the context of chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul taught him. That's what he says there. There were others. If you go to chapter 2, verse 19, Timothy had a part in that. If you go to chapter 2 and verse 25, Epaphroditus had a part in that. And so Paul and others had a part in teaching. In fact, in chapter 1, Paul says that there were some who were preaching Christ. They were doing it with the wrong motives. But Paul says, but you know what? I'm glad that Jesus is being preached. Paul didn't say, hey, don't listen to those guys. No, he says, I'm glad that Jesus is being preached. Listen, Uh, we are to be taught by one another. We're to be taught by the teachers that God brings into your life. One of the things, one of the most important uh, parts of my ministry is the study and the the teaching of God's Word. My job as a pastor is to feed the sheep. And so I spend a lot of time laboring in the Word. And look, I know that you can get way, you can hear way better speakers out there on the internet, and I would encourage you to do that. But you know, when we gather together, it's not just hearing Pastor Dave teach. But as we read at the beginning of the service, we're to be teaching one another. We're to be provoking love and good works amongst one another. So here's what I would say. Listen, be present. Be teachable. Be aware that you're teaching other people, even if you don't realize it. People are watching you. They're learning from you, good or bad. They're watching how you live, good or bad. And so, God uses us in one another's lives. How often, I'm really thankful for for believers that have helped me. I I have some pastor friends that there have been several times when I've gone to them in a moment of mental crisis. (laughs) Like, I've gone to them and they say, hey man, talk me down off the bridge. And i you know, don't, don't take that to the literal meaning, but, but like, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this, and I want to, you know, and, and I, I'm thankful for some fellow, one of them, Randy, who's the pastor here at Christ's Bible, he says, whoa, 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 let's, let's talk about this. What are you thinking now, you know? Um, listen, God uses other believers in our life to help educate our thinking. And I want to encourage you, When you're maybe you're having a hard time with, with some thoughts. Maybe there's just a constant thing that's, that, that, that you're dealing with in your mind. I would encourage you, sit down with a brother or sister in Christ. I would, I would love to sit down with you, but find a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey man, this is what I'm dealing with in my head. Can you pray with me about this? Can you, can you help me to understand what God says about this? Educate. Your thinking. Nurture sound thinking through systematic teaching. The fourth, or excuse me, the third part of this threefold strategy is emulate. Emulate. Here it is simply put into your living what you are learning. Paul says, Do what you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me. What's he saying? Imitate me, mimic me, emulate me. I'm following Jesus. What you've heard me teach, Paul says, do. What you've seen in me, do. And what does do mean? It means to practice. It's in the present tense, which means just keep on doing. It's in the active voice, which means the reader is the one who's to be doing the doing. That's us. What are we to do? We are to continually put into practice what we have learned from the Word of God, from the Savior, from the saints, right? From the Scriptures, we are to continually put into practice what the Spirit of God has been teaching us. We're to put our thinking into action. Thinking that never transitioned into doing is futile. But you know, you can know what's right and not do it, right? We all know that. You can set aside what you know is right, and you can choose to do wrong. Even knowing what is right, you can know what is pure, and in a moment, choose to do what is impure. Knowing only becomes doing when we choose to act on what we know. Paul says this in this little epistle. He says we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. He says, live your life worthy of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 27. James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Because when you act on what you know, it will further cement your mindset. Isn't that how coaches work? Right? They want them... They want the athlete to put into practice what they are being taught. And the more they practice it, the more they do what they're being taught, the more it cements a mindset. And the more they practice that, the more they live that out, the more victory they see in their sport, right? If they'll follow the plan. Listen, the threefold strategy for developing a wholesome healthy biblical mindset is simply this evaluate think about what you think about the battle for your life is won or lost in your mind in your mind i think we could pray what david prayed in psalm 13 test me lord try me examine my heart and my mind that's a good daily prayer isn't it lord examine my thoughts Spirit, show me what thoughts I need to filter out. Help me to think the right thoughts. So think about what you think about. Educate. Nurture sound thinking through systematic learning. Be taught by the Word of God. Be taught by the Son of God. Be taught by the Spirit of God. Be taught by the people of God. Educate your thinking with the truth and then emulate it. Live it out. Put into practice what you're learning do what you know do more than believe it do more than think it live it out paul says finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just and pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any moral excellence if there is anything praiseworthy Dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And look what it says. And the God of peace will be with you. Would you like some peace between your ears and your thoughts? Here's the way to do it. Your mindset matters. Let's pray.